I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, currently the chaplain of Cedar Break Retreat Center, formerly in restorative justice ministry with Deacon Ronnie Lostavica, who currently remains in restorative justice ministry. For us, that is the ministry to those who are incarcerated, the corrections officers with them, and all parties involved in the criminal justice uh, system. We have uh, been continuing on in our series on suicide. Uh, For those who have experienced someone who has committed suicide in the prison system, family members on the outside, or any of us who have had a friend or family member, even an acquaintance, take their life by suicide. Uh, Today, we're going to begin with What are the signs that a person is at risk for committing suicide? And Deacon Ronnie, I'll ask you to uh, begin to help us uh, to understand some of those signs. Some of the signs that uh, we can see that a person is at risk of committing suicide start, uh, start with feelings of hopelessness or an increased anxiety with depression. Uh, We also can uh, look at uh, preoccupation with death or talking about suicide. Uh, there's a loss of interest in pleasurable activities um, that are socially withdrawn, that, that, that sense of backing away that from activities or engaging in, in, as it used to be uh, is another sign. Watch for neglect of personal care or appearance. You know, if someone has been very uh, proper in, in their grooming practices and all of a sudden they just let all this go, uh, that's another sign. Giving away possessions, and we mentioned that in, I think, our first series, but that's a very tall tale one, especially for um, and women who are incarcerated. Uh, giving away possessions or putting affairs in order. You know, all of a sudden this is very neat and clean, and what's going on with, with what they're living now is, is going to be a visual sign for us. A s- sudden happy mood after a sustained period of sadness or depression. Um, and then a, a recent... Uh, um, or, uh, seems to be about using acquiring of, of things that uh, might assist them in uh, carrying out the means to commit a suicide. Some conditions associated with a higher risk of suicide or for suicide, and, and what I'm reading here, as you will hear, um, we're talking about things that you might be able to notice in the life of the other person that might be uh, something that puts them there in that consideration. Remember, let's go all the way back to our first segment. That first segment made sure that we understood that suicide is not about a person wanting to kill themselves. It's about a person wanting to find relief. That's a very big distinction. Yeah, I'll, I'll just give you, I'm not going to use names, but I'll give you a situation that you and I encountered um, a number of years ago in restrictive housing, and it had to do with uh, a young man uh, who was fixing to um, go home. Uh, he was, uh, had served his time. It wasn't a very long time. In fact, it was a non-aggravated assault. He's just so thinking he's about just, him. He's just going to get home, and, and he was preparing for this move. And, and um, I, when I read through this list of things just now, I thought about him and, and, and how things had changed. And he had a lot of stuff, you know, in this, in this, in this cell that was about the size of a parking lot. Um, nine by whatever it is, 11, five by 11. And um, what he happened was uh, he got a letter from home. Um, his wife had in, was informed him that she was now four months pregnant. And so um, he had been discerning uh, full communion with the church and uh, was uh, in the process of... Um, preparing to go home and, and rejoin with his family and, and his family and loved ones. 
And so it was a minute, minute of that uh, weekly encounter that we'd have with him. Um, we came by, and uh, he had, um, I think you remember that at that point, he'd think he was not full communion, but may not have known the exact state of his his path at that point on your in Father Harry. I but think what we had we were figured out him. that he, he made that he was baptized Correct. in the Catholic faith, but he hadn't had his, his first, first communion. communion. Yeah, so he was seeking that, and so um, this uh, this you had seen him, and he made that first. He made communion. the first communion, and um, then I saw him. I think it was the next day, and we spoke about. Uh, he had been moved to a new cell, and I thought, and in, in, actually into a different area of the building, and I noticed how absent his stuff was. There wasn't anything in the room, and he goes, "Oh, I just got in here, and I'm just, you know, got everything set up right." And I kind of, kind of let that be, and that's when he shared with me the story about his home situation from his wife, and that you know he was he was in two months of discharging. And so it was that next day I got a call from the chaplain and asked me if I had uh, noticed anything unusual about the conversation that we had. And I said, well, the only thing unusual I saw was the lack of stuff in his room that he had just moved and he hadn't really got it set up yet. And he, and he told me about the situation with this, with the, the home life. And, and, and he says, well, I um, hate to let you know that he, he took his life last night. And, um, I'll never forget that because of all the things we just talked about. This, this, all of a sudden, he's gotten some news from home that's that seems unmanageable. There's this whole change in his demeanor. Um, one of the things that I'll never forget is his seeking the of, of the Eucharist. It was almost a, a, he wanted viaticum. You know, he was seeking food for the journey for he departed this life, and then the fact that all of his stuff was gone. I mean, it, it wasn't set up; it was gone. And then the, then the next thing you know, he's he's um, committed to doing this. So as we are traveling through a section that says some conditions associated with a higher risk for suicide, what they list here are the things that would be normal for most people who aren't living the incarcerated life, although there's some crossover here, and we'll go through it. But what Deacon Ronnie is pointing out is that in the incarcerated life, there are some situations that could be on the list that are unique to the incarcerated life. And in the case of this fellow, it was getting ready to go home, which not every inmate, as you you guys and gals that are there listening to us on the inside prisons know, not everybody's ready to go home. Uh, But you don't get to make that choice. You get paroled, you time out, meaning you finish the entire sentence that a judge has given you, and you just simply aren't ready. It becomes, like we talked about from the very beginning of all of our our, uh, sessions here, a source of intense pain. And the only way that a person might think that they can relieve that particular pain, i.e. getting released from prison, is to take their life. Something that you and I would, would think, what what are you talking about? You're getting out of prison. Isn't that something that you would want to do? I think it's hard for some of us to understand where a person's mind can be in, in that regard. Added to the fact that now there, there's a betrayal um, in the family bond because now his wife is home and she's pregnant by somebody else. And, and he was looking forward to that being part of 
his being able to integrate back into a life outside. Now that's gone. Um, his possessions, as we mentioned before, if possessions are missing in the life of an inmate, that usually is is a telltale uh, item there uh, going on. Um, but there's going to be other things as well that only you who live the incarcerated life really might pick up on. And the consideration in this particular example that Deacon Ronnie brought up, that a person received a sacrament that they had been looking forward to, that we had trained him. We, we did the catechesis cell side. Uh, we, we prepared him what we felt like was adequately to receive his first Holy Communion. We walk away from that experience joyful and buoyed by hopefulness in the life of this person, not realizing that for a person in the mode that his mind and emotional state was in, saw it as a life-giving way to cross the T and dot the I on his life preparing for suicide which is not how we tend to see sacraments of initiation. No. But, but when you're in circumstances like an incarcerated state, and perhaps for some of you on the outside where a person has been traveling the path of relentless addiction, uh, multiple job loss, I'm going through some of the list here, history of depression or other mental illness, previous suicide attempts, impulsivity. If you've got somebody that everybody in the family has joked for their whole life that, oh, that's just so-and-so, they're just impulsive, well... That might be something that you want to set the jokes aside and be aware that impulsivity can include impulsiveness towards the taking of one's own life. And let's say that as an adult, they finally decide to get confirmed and they go to classes and and they get confirmed in an adult confirmation. If there are other dynamics that are in this list, lost list, loss of job, loss of relationship, significant recent decline in health, the history of mental illness, the previous suicide attempts, um, though none of us would consider celebration of sacraments as something that might be a precursor to suicide, it is a possibility. And you do want to have that be something for those that are already in this this vulnerable category that you want to you want to say, while it's joyful to them and they'll express genuine joy, it also might be part of that joy is that I prepared myself for the passing from this life, not in its natural order, but but by my own hand. I think the, uh, again, going back to community and just being aware of our neighbor and what they're going through uh, calls us um, uh, to be attentive uh, when you see those changes. Uh, as ministers, we're on the, we're in the units maybe 5%. Uh, there's 95% of the time we're not around. Uh, but you are, uh, if the men and women that are in the units living there. Uh, so just just be aware of, of, of things, things that we've just mentioned, those changes, those withdrawals, uh, giving away their stuff, putting things in order. I mean, those are things that we just need to be aware of and not indifferent. You know, we, we just need to ask the question, hey, what's going on? You know, what are you okay um, as they say to us, are you good? Good. <laughs> you good? <laughs> and so if you're a part of a Catholic community in any one of our prison units and you're hearing our voices throughout this entire series, you know better than anybody else what those moments of vulnerability can be. We've already named some of them, the parole moment, uh, the loss of, of privileges. You know, let's say you, you get a case or a major case and now you've lost a lot of privileges. Uh, let's say that uh, because of, uh, of a major case, you lose standing. You had a responsible job and everybody looked up to you and, and uh, now you feel like you've been cut down and, and, and placed low. When people are moved from unit to unit 
And if they were in a really good situation for themselves across the, the different uh, lifestyle factors in prison, and now they're moved to a new location, that could make them vulnerable. Um, if something happens in the life of their family, um, one of their children gets incarcerated, um, that uh, Child Protective Services uh, finally finishes their case and now they no longer have access to their children. Um, many of these things are the kinds of things that for those of us who work with our, our brothers and sisters within the Catholic communities, that's where you can be aware of the distinct, unique things of prison life that might put people in, in that higher risk for suicide category. But the next section says, okay, we know these things, whether you're incarcerated or not incarcerated, that could be on that list. What should be done to help someone who you are attentive to and you realize they are at risk for committing suicide? The American Foundation of Suicide Prevention recommends asking the person about what is bothering him or her and then allowing them to talk. It's very important. So, uh, again, it goes back to be attentive. Uh, and ask the person what's bothering them, and then giving them ample room to talk. Uh, do not be deterred by the reluctance to discuss the problems. Rather, persist in asking in a kind but caring manner. So if the person has been dis- dis- uh, depressed, ask if he's thinking of committing suicide. If the indication is that suicide has been considered, take it seriously, even if it seems to be merely a ploy for attention and asked if a particular plan for committing suicide has been made. Do not lecture or argue about suicide or dismiss problems as insignificant. Instead, voice concern about his or her well-being and remind them that feelings of depression are temporary and can can always be treated. Don't put the situation such as these that Deacon Ronnie just elaborated on on the back burner. Uh, Immediately alert someone who can help. If you're on the outside, there's a national lifeline number. It's an 800 number, 273-TALK, talk. Um, you know, if you're on the inside, if you're if you're doing time and you're listening to our program, 1-800-273-TALK is a resource you can give to, to friends and family. L- let them call them, and then they can share the benefits of that conversation with you. Often suicidal people do not believe that they can be helped or— they're afraid that getting help will lead to even more pain. I know we keep saying it over and over again. You're probably tired of hearing it by now through all the different series, but pain is at the root of all of this. Unbearable pain that I can't think of any other way other than taking my life. So if they're afraid of getting help, thinking that that's going to lead to even more pain. So actively assist in finding a doctor or mental health professional, and if necessary, accompany them to see that professional. Now, I know on the inside that that's not possible. When you're doing time, you can't do that. But you can sure encourage a person, if they actually get that appointment, not to blow it off. Go to the appointment, even if they're feeling better. Go to mental health. Um, if you're working on a job, see your supervisor. Let them know that you know you, you need some help. Um, go uh, send, a, send a note to the chaplain. Ask for a chap talk. Get, get some privacy time with him one-on-one so that we can get the mental health team involved, uh, the spiritual side involved, and your workforce involved so that there's this, this, this sense of awareness that things aren't right with me right now. And we so a lot of these vulnerability uh, categories and risks I would call red flags, but there's a super red flag. 
And the super red flag is if the person indicates that he or she has a plan to carry out the suicide, this is how I'm going to do it. The danger is more immediate. We find that in all the material that we've researched and certainly in the Veritas series that we're, we're sharing here with you from the Knights of Columbus. That's that's in here as well. If, if I can articulate, that is to say, speak out loud to you, if I was going to commit suicide, I would do it this way. That's kind of a super red flag. Um, if you're in the world outside of prison, that's a 911 call or take the person to the nearest uh, uh, emergency room. If, if it's in uh, the prison, find that lieutenant or sergeant or whoever that you know it has a good sympathetic ear who takes these things seriously and knows how, how to move things along and, and confide in them about the other person. Um, and, and I know that a lot of times that is, is considered getting in other people's business and that that's one of those things that most of us that live the incarcerated life are cautioned not to do is to get in other people's business. But as a compassionate, caring disciple of Jesus Christ, if ever there was a moment to take the risk and and be courageous in, in the classic sense of that term, in other words, acting on behalf of Christ in a way that may cost me something, this would be one of those moments. And to support what Father Harry just said about the fact that there's a plan in place, uh, what you may not get, though, from them is the fact that when they're going to intentionally carry it out. Because by design, they're going to want to uh, implement this plan when there's no one around. Uh, it's not going to be during count. It's going to be off camera as much as possible. So, again, just be aware of what this person is doing or not doing in terms of their daily life and how that's changed. And if there's, uh, again, the, I can't um, begin to emphasize the importance of, of, of letting someone know you know, that, that this guy or this gal is, is, is struggling and we need to get him some help and we need it now. And then lastly, it says on here, do not let the fear of risking a friendship with the suicidal person override the decision to act or to be the cause of keeping a suicidal plan secret. I'm going to do it this way, but don't tell anybody. It, you know, as much as, as trust is such a precious commodity in prison and you don't want to be a person who no longer is seen as trustworthy, this is one place where you really don't need to be trustworthy. You need to go on and, and pick your people, pick the right person to confide in, whether like Deacon Ronnie said, get a chaplain visit um, or the mental health person. If you catch them on the street going from point A to point B or, or that lieutenant or sergeant or captain that you know uh, has a heart in, in the kind of place that would move on this in a way that, that would work at the right direction. Um, those are your resources. And and you ladies and gentlemen in, in the incarcerated life, in our, and particularly in our Catholic communities, you know that. You know who the people are. You've learned over time who those resource, resources are. And part of our purpose in doing this series is to have you really maybe have those in mind already. Don't be reaching for them in the middle of an emotional moment when someone has pre presented with you, let's say, a plan for suicide. Let's be thinking about it now. Let's have that that support network, that one, two, three top people that I'm going to contact already in mind. Yeah, and if you have information that um, is going to be um, perhaps a trigger for this person from home, uh, go ahead and say something. Say, hey, I think he needs to talk to you or she needs to visit with you privately about something. And you've done your part, but at least you've communicated to that uh, a person of authority that can help begin this, put this in motion 
Uh, from every unit uh, that I've been involved in, from the senior warden on down, this is a front burner item for us. It is. Uh, no one wants to uh, see you hurt yourself. Uh, we're all there uh, in, in terms of being aware of what can we do for you, and I promise you we'll get immediate attention. Um, it, it, it just it has to, and it will. So immediate attention is what this calls for. And we're going to move into uh, the uh, home stretch of our series now. And it starts with teens. A lot of us who have uh, who are spending time incarcerated have teenage children at home. And you learn through whoever it is that's their primary caregiver that they are concerned about suicidal possibilities, tendencies, vulnerabilities in one of your children. And there you are in prison. You're doing the best that you can to do remote parenting. We've done a series on remote parenting. And this is an aspect of that. So what the Veritas series that we're sharing with, they speak of it this way. Why is there so much teen suicide? And what can a parent do to reduce the likelihood of suffering? such self-destructive behavior. The uh, increase in teen suicide, especially among younger teens, is unfortunate reality of our days. According to the Center for Disease Control, the rate of suicide doubled for children from 10 to 14 years old between 1980 and 1998, though the rate is still a fraction of that of teens 15 to 19 years old. So changes in our American families over the past several decades have left a legacy of alarming high levels of emotional and behavioral problems in our children. Related factors that can predict a higher risk of suicide among teens include child abuse or neglect, having a parent with mental illness, alcohol, substance abuse, legal and violence problems, teens who perceive little compassion, care, or warmth from parents who feel that they do not uh, matter, or whose self-worth is not independent of achievement, also can be more susceptible to suicide. In addition, we're told that separation, divorce, or family dynamics can lead teens feeling torn between the two parents and guilty about hurting one or both of them can also be detrimental. The traits in adolescents that can increase suicide risk of are having mental disorders, interpersonal problems, poor impulse control, acting without thinking through the consequences, excessive emotional reliance on others, involvement in peer violence, either as a perpetrator or a victim, and a history of trauma. And finally, sexual promiscuity, which ends in broken relationships, can also heighten suicidal risk. It's very important to remember that these descriptions, while helpful in understanding and perhaps preventing problems, cannot determine with certainty which factors relate to a particular person's decision to take his own life. Therefore, supervising parents and family members are cautioned to avoid blaming themselves or others for a loved one's death by suicide. I want to back up there just for a second on that whole section that Deacon Ronnie just went through, because in hearing it, I think most of you who are incarcerated are hearing your own lives. Uh, changes in American families, suicide among teens include child abuse, neglect, a parent with mental illness, alcohol, substance abuse, legal and violence problems, teens who perceive little compassion, care, or warmth from their parents who feel that they do not matter, 
whose self-worth is not independent of achievement, meaning maybe if they're not achieving, they don't have much self-worth, who feel they don't matter, all of those things. Ladies and gentlemen of our Catholic communities in the incarcerated state, you have felt that. You know exactly what we're talking about, and you're still with us. You have learned somehow, and I suspect many of you by the grace of God that you've allowed into your lives, to stay with us and not go the route of easing the pain of, of those sufferings by taking your own life. That ideally situates you to be able to talk your teens through it. Now, they may not see you as a legitimate resource because of difficulties in your own dynamics with them. Talk through it with somebody else, whoever it is that they are listening to, impart your wisdom to them. It doesn't have to be known that it's coming from you. If it needs to divert through somebody else in order for the teen to give it a legitimate hearing, go for it. Do it that way. But just know you've survived. And you have found a way, even though it has ended up doing time in prison, to be able to have now the time with God to make of yourself from the hardship of your life somebody that can help your team through the hardship of theirs. Um, in the pamphlet, it says, the best prevention for suicidal behavior among teens is a healthy parent-child relationship characterized by unconditional warmth, affirmation, and acceptance. Look, if you didn't have that up through the time that you ended up in prison and you still don't have it now, you know the work that we do with you. We know the sacramental life that we bring to you. We've seen the restoration that you have allowed in your own lives and have made of yourselves better women and men closer to the Lord so that now, even though the circumstances aren't ideal, you can be this kind of parent where you weren't before. That's a beautiful thing. Never give up on believing in yourselves as parents, that as you improve your lives, as you're doing your time as incarcerated souls, that you can become the parent that you wished you were before you got to prison. It's never too late. Keep throwing it out there. Keep trying to help them understand that they can begin to believe in you now in ways that they didn't used to believe in you back then. That just might be one of those assistants that gives them some time to get through adolescent impulse and not act on those impulses in ways that they can't retrieve, i.e., in, in terms of suicide. Um, and avail, avail yourself to all the good programs that are available on the units. And these are just, uh, since my time in units have, have just really come on board, there's, there's new programs coming out uh, almost quarterly now. But uh, certainly look at the ITP programs that are available, the Bridges to Life, the Voyagers, uh, the Authentic Manhood. All of those are great programs for you to embrace this, this uh, sense of it's never too late that Father Harry just has said. And, and now's the time. It's right now. So don't put it off. But uh, all your children are doing are, are seeking a, a sense of, of warmth and love and security, and you can provide that to them wherever you're located. Seek immediate help from a physician or mental health professional if a teen shows signs of depression or mentions suicide. Check with a local parish, and you can have somebody back home do this, or their diocese for referrals. Therapists who adhere to the magisterial teaching of the church can be found at catholictherapist.com. That's a pretty easy one to remember, catholictherapist.com. Um, the pamphlet says it is a myth that addressing the topic of suicide with someone who may be considering it will lead to a suicide attempt. 
On the contrary, emotional isolation or feeling disconnected from others can be a risk factor in some cases. Being able to discuss thoughts or temptations with someone may impart a sense of having obtained real help, as well as a sense of relief. Remember, relief is what they're looking for. Expressing suicidal thoughts in open communication facilitates a valuable feeling of connection to others and to life. It is also a myth that most people threaten or attempt suicide simply to get attention. Regardless of motive, the threat or gesture should be taken seriously and professional assistance obtained. Suicide is a tragedy that affects thousands of people every year. It is one of the most stressful and devastating events that can occur in life and recovery can be hard. While a loved one's decision to commit suicide is often beyond control, the decision to heal and to continue living life fully certainly is a decision that is well within one's own control. The information in this pamphlet by Veritas and the Knights of Columbus is intended to provide hope and to foster a sincere belief that the intense grief caused by bereavement by suicide eventually subsides and that healing will follow in time. Today, we'd like to close with a prayer to and with St. Christina. She's known as Christina the Astonishing. St. Christina, you lived a life of poverty and loneliness in the eyes of others, but you knew that in the eyes of God, you were wealthy and had his love and the companionship of saints and angels. Help us to see beyond the things of the world and to realize we are never alone with God and that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. Pray that we remember to offer up our sufferings for those who do not see beyond the material and who are seeking love and fulfillment, that they may come to know God and realize that they are never alone. Amen. you walk with me?